listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. For this episode, we will be discussing Black Sabbath's eighth studio album, Never Say Die. Released in September of 1978, this would be the last studio album to feature all of the original lineup. Despite the record's optimistic title, the album would be created and recorded under much distress. Alcohol and substance abuse were taking a heavy toll on the band, and Ozzy, battling his own demons and mourning the recent passing of his father, would leave prior to the recording of the record. Ozzy would be temporarily replaced by Savoy Brown vocalist Dave Walker, the band going as far as to record a version of Junior's Eyes with Walker that they would perform on a British television program. Ozzy would eventually return, but the writing seemed to be on the wall. Recording for Never Say Die took place at Sounds Interchange Studios in Toronto. Freezing temperatures and sour moods would make the album sessions arduous. Ozzy refused to sing any of the melody lines or lyrics left over from Dave Walker's brief stint, so the band was forced to rework much of the material while the studio clock was ticking. Bill Ward would attempt to play Peacemaker and pick up some of the slack by singing on the track, Swinging the Chain. Following in the footsteps of the previous few albums, the band would continue to musically experiment. Keyboardist Don Airy would add melodic piano lines to songs like Air Dance, and the band would even incorporate a horn-filled jazz band on the tune Breakout, which left some fans from the Iron Man days bewildered and confused. The final results would lead to their worst selling album to that point and something had to give. That something would be Ozzy as he would be fired from the band after the completion of the Never Say Die tour. A new chapter for both Ozzy and Black Sabbath would soon begin, but that's for another podcast. The first date of the Never Say Die tour would begin on May 16, 1978 and end on December 11th of the same year. A notable support act on the tour would be a young and red hot up and coming band by the name of Van Halen, leading to urban legends of the young upstarts blowing the old guard Sabbath off the stage. Also of note, the June 19th London Hammersmith Odeon show would be professionally filmed for a future full length concert video. Only the album's title track, Never Say Die, would be performed regularly on this tour, with Shockwave making a few rare appearances. All right, so we are at that point, the last uh, Ozzy Studio album for the original lineup of the band. So Darren, I know you've talked about Never Say Die in the past, that that was your first uh, Black Sabbath album. So what are, what are your thoughts on uh, Never Say Die? It was, it was the first Black Sabbath album I bought. And ironically, um, I've been a Black Sabbath fan for many, many years. 
but that was not the album that made me a fan. In fact, I, I kind of put it aside. It, in 1978, I was I was still listening to Kiss. That was nine going on ten, and I was, was still listening to Kiss, still still obsessed with Kiss. But at that point, Kiss was they had just released the solo albums. You know, the Peter Chris album really wasn't. I wasn't wasn't into that i wasn't really into the gene simmons album i like the ace freely album i like the paul stanley album but my interest in kiss was sort of starting to wane and i was looking for other things in the hard rock heavy metal spectrum and fortunately i had friends in my neighborhood who had older brothers and they were turning us on to some of the things that were coming out namely rush alice cooper um van halen and uh and black sabbath was the name that was sort of tossed around but i didn't have an interest in black sabbath until i went to the record store in the mall and i was looking to buy some records and i had just gotten <clears throat> alice cooper and i and i liked that a lot because it it, it did have some of the same qualities that 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 kiss kind of did for me it was really uh there's a lot of things going on in the theatrical aspect that that I could I could relate to. So I was into that. Uh, I saw I remember seeing ACDC, If You Want Blood. I thought the album cover was really cool, um, but it was all the posters of Never Say Die because it had, I guess it had just recently been released. Um, there were posters, there were flats and and things, and it it, it caught my attention. So. And I thought the album cover looked cool. I wasn't really sure what was going on. I wasn't sure who these two, they looked obviously like pilots, but I wasn't really sure. It just looked cool. So I, I bought the album and I took it home. <clears throat> I listened to it and it really wasn't what I expected. I, I think at the time in retrospect, I, I, would, I would say that it was probably a little too sophisticated for where my head was at at the time. Uh, and with some of the, the jazzy stuff and some of the, the more progressive aspects of the songs on never say die i really wasn't ready for that um some of them hit me in the right place i like the title track but it really wasn't an album that i revisited very much after that i moved on to other things that were a little bit more captivating for someone my age so it wasn't until a few years later that i i really got into to Black Sabbath and, and actually Blizzard of Oz was what really got me into to Black Sabbath. But anyway, <clears throat> um, so yeah, my, my thoughts were that it, it really wasn't the, the heavy rock album. It was a sort of a letdown to me at the time. Now, had I started with Paranoid, I probably would have had a different, would have reached a different conclusion, but unfortunately I didn't. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I made up for it after that. <laughs> but no, my first impression was, it was pretty lukewarm regarding Black Sabbath in, in, in that album. Now, as, as time has, has gone on, I've kind of gone back and forth with it. There's, there's times when I, when I really like it. And then there's other times when I'm sort of like, not, not really into it. It, it, it just sort of, 
I, I think the main thing about it is it's it's so obviously lost the plot. Even with technical ecstasy, there was you you could tell that there was some um, enthusiasm, or there seemed to be some enthusiasm in the songs and the performances. Never say die. It it just sounds stale, and there's there's too many things going on that that are too foreign to Black Sabbath, and they sound uncomfortable. The orchestration, uh, the jazzy passages, the saxophones, just doesn't fit. And it's one of those things where I thought, well, you know, listening to it <clears throat> a bunch of times, I sort of get used to it, but I, I've never been able to get used to it. <laughs> It's really the only Black Sabbath album that, that I, I have some difficulty of that era, of the Ozzy era, that I, I really do not listen to very often. Yeah, I can see how that would certainly be a strange <laughs> Black Sabbath album to have as your, as your first one. I mean, it was sort of the, the opposite for me. I, I didn't discover Black Sabbath till 1980. As I've mentioned in, in other episodes, I started with Paranoid and eventually started making my way through and the last Ozzy album from the original era that I needed was Never Say Die. And uh, I mentioned this in the Technical Ecstasy episode that I had no, because of the, the time, this was way before the internet, I wasn't, nobody was talking about Never Say Die in any metal magazines, music magazines. So I had no idea what it was going to be. I had no preconceived notions moving into it. And, uh, you know, for me, it kind of felt like, okay, this is the last, the last album I need from this era. I was probably, I already had Blizzard and Diary. I may have even, uh, I may have even have had Speak of the Devil at that point. So I may have been, I don't think so. I think I, I, I had gotten Never Say Die before Speak of the Devil had come out. Uh, and for me, and I, I don't know, I've always had kind of maybe a soft spot for Never Say Die, maybe because it's a little bit of an underdog, you know, in, in, the, in that original eight, the first eight albums. Uh, I think that uh, I've, I like when Black Sabbath experiments. Uh, do I want them to have a jazz band <laughs> playing along with them on every Black Sabbath album? No, but I'm okay with it for <clears throat> one short song on, on one album. Uh, I mentioned this on Technical Ecstasy that as I moved along the Sabbath catalog, it, it started to sound more and more like Ozzy's solo uh, albums. I, I was able to make the connection more. And I, I felt that on Never Say Die. I felt like a song like Never Say Die, which was kind of uplifting and melodic. It, it, it reminded me of some of the uplifting melodic aspects on Blizzard of Oz, songs like the verse in Crazy Train or No Bone Movies or that kind of like sort of just fun rock hard rock uh, thing. 
some of the guitar playing on Never Say Die, I think is, uh, I think there's some great guitar playing from Tony Iommi on, on Never Say Die. Some of his leads, I think are fantastic. Uh, I do remember thinking that it, it it lacked some of the heaviness in the guitars that I had heard on volume four or Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Uh, the guitar seemed kind of bright and metallic uh, to me on it, but uh, I enjoyed it. And maybe because I it was the last Ozzy Sabbath album for me, I, I kind of uh, accepted it for for what it was. Uh, it's it's an album that it doesn't doesn't break my top top five, you know, and probably not even my top ten Sabbath albums. But it's an album that I have fun revisiting because I think that there's a lot of interesting little things going on. I like the keyboard stuff on it from Don Airy. I like some of the different things that they do on here, like Air Dance and Over to You. I think the album starts really strong uh, with Never Say Die, Johnny Blade, and uh, uh, what's the other one that I'm missing here from the first? Boy, Junior's one? Eyes. Junior's Eyes, yeah. yeah. You know, I think that the album starts really, really strong. Johnny Blade and Junior's Eyes, I, I absolutely love. So so I think I'm a person that likes this album more than the average uh, Sabbath fan. But, but I do understand where you're coming from. And I do understand where people who don't care for this record are coming from. It does sound a bit confused. It is a little bit unfocused. Uh, the... Bill Ward singing on Swinging the Chain as much as I like that and as much as I'm okay with Breakout, it does kind of feel like those were things that they, they just did them because they were running out of ideas and Ozzy wouldn't sing on them. And so, yeah, it, it does feel a little bit like a confused uh, record. So I, I understand where people are coming from and why for some people uh, they don't care for this record. Uh, like I said, I think I like it better than than most, just because I I enjoy the little hidden gems that you can find on this album. Personally, I don't have a problem with some of the 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 outside the box aspects of this album. I I I don't. It isn't like I'm getting. Uh, too possessive over Black Sabbath's more traditional sound, and so I'm. I've reached a conclusion that I won't accept, or I didn't accept, "Never Say Die" because it didn't fit into the same criteria. I, I, I was fine with with some of the, the more farther-reaching aspects of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Technical Ecstasy, and even actually some uh, like Superzar on. On sabotage, that wasn't something you would you would find on Master of Reality or or Paranoid, but it, it seemed to be done with conviction and it and it and it was convincing, and I accepted it because it seemed confident. <clears throat> when I go through, I, I think I think you're right. I think side one, I think the album starts off good. I, I think Never Say Die is a good call to arms. It's a little happy, upbeat. Um, probably the the happiest, more upbeat, most upbeat song I can think of that Black Sabbath has ever recorded up to that point. Johnny Blade is dark, but, uh, or darker, but the keyboards are so overwhelming in that for me. 
um, it, 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 overwhel it overwhelms the song and it, uh, it, it takes priority over the guitar. And that's something that I have a hard time with because for me, Black Sabbath has always been the guitar tone and Ozzy's voice or whoever the singer was. Those two aspects essentially are the key ingredients to Black Sabbath. And then of course, you know, we have Geezer and Bill and, 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 they're, and they're very important as well. And the things that they contribute are, are important. But the main thing was the guitar. And when keyboards override the guitar, that's where I get lost. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is just that I, I don't get a feeling from listening to it that the band was really satisfied. And and from what I've read, that that's pretty much the case, that the band was, Ozzy was, he was out. He was going to put together the Blizzard of Oz with the guys from Necromandis. And Necromandis was a band from England that had opened up for Black Sabbath. Tony Iommi was kind of kind of managing them. And they recorded an album with Tony Iommi at the production helm that was shelved. It was supposed to be released on Vertigo. It was shelved. But they, the guys in Sabbath got on really well with Necromandis. And Ozzy really wanted to have the guys in Necromandis, Dennis McCartan on bass, uh, Barry Dunnery, the guitar player, and the drummer Frank Hall, basically the the entire band Necromandis as the Blizzard of Oz. And reported supposedly there, they actually did record some songs, not not professionally, but in rehearsal. There are some rehearsals that that they recorded, and they were they were jamming some songs. But anyway, um, Ozzy asked to come back to Black Sabbath, and uh, and he did. And uh, as things went along, I think he didn't really have a lot of enthusiasm. Maybe he reconsidered that decision somewhere along the way. And it could have been under the circumstances, recording in Canada, Toronto, the conditions that were involved with that. It wasn't, you know, Florida, Criteria Studios, a comfortable environment. Things seemed to be a lot less comfortable. And, and I think all that is kind of conveyed in the album there's just like without actually knowing the specifics you can, I, I can kind of feel like there's there's a uncomfortability when I, within the songs of the album it just it just feels it feels awkward yeah and uh yeah the the band talks about how so Ozzy leaves they work a little bit with Dave Walker. Ozzy comes back. He doesn't want to sing any of the things that Dave yeah. Walker sang. So they rented a theater near the studio that apparently didn't have any heat in it. So during the day, they're trying to work on the songs in frigid uh, temperatures. And then they go to the studio at night and try to record. And and I, I understand what you're saying about the keyboards. Uh, I do think that this album, the guitars on this album, they just don't have the heft and the, and the sonic heaviness that you pretty much had on all the previous Sabbath albums. The guitars are a little far back. 
and a little bright and they get a little bit lost in the mix sometimes. I was okay with the keyboards because like, for instance, the keyboards at the beginning of uh, Johnny Blade reminded me of the keyboards at the beginning of Mr. Crowley. It has that same sort of late seventies, early eighties analog, like those kind of like synth, synth noises. So for me, it sort of reminded me of that, but, but the album doesn't really have a lot of like, you know, even you mentioned a super czar as being an experimental thing that they did, you know, in, in the past on the Sabotage album. And that certainly is experimental, but that had a real dark, heavy vibe to it. Yeah. And on Never Say Die, they're really, I mean, what is really the heaviest song on this album? You know, I, Shockwave, really, maybe? Yeah, maybe. But even that has kind of like a, a, a happier kind of overtone to it. Right, so you don't really get any like really crushing riffs like the song Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. You're not getting a, you're certainly not getting an into the void, you know, style riff fest or anything. It's, it, it's, it's an album that, that has a lot of sort of upbeat, ironically, considering the, the album title, Never Say Die and everything that was going on <laughs> with yeah. them. You know, they're <laughs> under all this stress and, and they're cracking at the seams and they put out probably their most uplifting album up to this point. You know, even, even a song like, you know, you mentioned Never Say Die. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, melodic rock. It was just... Yeah. And even Hard Road, you know, Hard Road <laughs> is very uplifting. Uh, don't, don't live in tomorrow, don't live in the past. You know, it's like got yeah. this very positive, uplifting message. And yet the band is, you know, literally like We're falling you know, apart. Yeah. yeah. And so it's I very know. strange that that would, that it would work out that way. But if you really add up the Ozzy albums, this is, this is probably one of the most, uh, you know, I don't want to say lightest, but most uplifting, <laughs> you know, lacking in super heavy riffs. I mean, like I said, what's the heaviest song on this? Uh, I mean, the riff, the main riff in Swinging the Chain is pretty heavy. I uh, said, you know, yeah. Parts in Shockwave that are pretty heavy, but. Uh, I, I think people like to, I mean, certain people I've seen, um, and maybe it's the way that I defend technical ecstasy. I. I I will defend that album to to the death. I will I will go to the hill on that one. And and I, I've noticed some people will also kind of get really possessive over Never Say Die. And I, I respect that. I mean it's it's whatever you know whatever floats your boat. But to me it just seems like this this is Black Sabbath going through the motions. I, I just doesn't feel like there's any conviction at all behind it. And you're right. I mean, what is the heaviest song on here? And that was their, that was their trademark. It was heavy riffs, heavy, heavy rock, heavy hard rock. And, and the only thing I think that even comes sort of close to that is swinging the chain as far as the main riff. But what kind of knocks that off is the fact that Bill Ward sings it. So, and he does a great job. I think Bill's sounds awesome on that song i i love the lyrics i i i i actually give bill credit probably more than anyone else on this because of swinging the chain it's it, it really is a good song but for me it's hard to connect to it to black sabbath because 
it's kind of a foreign element. It's Bill singing, you know. If Ozzy had agreed to sing it, um, it would probably bring it more into the wheelhouse. But having said that, I think Bill does a great job. But other than that, you know, you're right. I mean, well, you got Breakout, which is, I, I just, I have a hard time at breakout. <laughs> it's the saxophones, I guess. I'm not sure. It's just kind of like just the meandering. Da, 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 da. It sounds like an unfinished idea, and and that's pretty much what if I if I remember the story correctly, that that was just kind of a riff that they had. Ozzy was just like, nah, I don't want to work on it, and they just threw horns on the top of it. It's really just like one kind of riff underneath it. The horns change a little bit. Yeah. But it's really like kind of maybe two riffs to it. It's kind of a simple little, it, it sounds, it sounds kind of incomplete. Like it was the start of some kind of idea that never got finished or they were never able to do anything more with it. With, with the Dave Walker thing. And I, I, I I'd be curious what what the song sounded like. They had more time working on that material, and uh, I wonder how it would have turned out if Ozzy had agreed to work with that material. What "Never Say Die" would have sounded like. I think this album suffers from the fact that they basically had the afternoon to write, leave the theater, then go to the studio and record what they wrote during the day. So it was seemed like it was done under under a crunch, but I wonder if they had maybe taken some of the ideas of, of what they worked with, with Dave, worked on with Dave Walker, how the album would have turned out. I'm pretty sure that Dave Walker wasn't the right fit because I mean, the version of Junior's Eyes, it's okay. I mean, it's more from a novelty perspective that I think I, I've listened to it in the past. It's, it's clearly not as good as the, Ozzy sung version, but um, it was also live for that television show. And I wonder if it had been given the studio treatment and, you know, maybe a little bit more polished how, how it would have, how it would have sounded. I, I think the Dave Walker aspect might've been good in theory because he's a blues singer and, um, and Black Sabbath started out as a blues band. So, um, I mean, I, I'm, of course, I'm glad that the singer that followed Ozzy was Dio, and we'll get into that as we get into the next couple albums. But had Ozzy not, had Ozzy's last album been Technical Ecstasy and Dave Walker did do this album, I wonder, I wonder how it would have turned out. I, I have a suspicion it may have turned out better than it did with Ozzy. I don't think Ozzy, I mean, having Ozzy involved in it was probably more of a detriment than a benefit because of his interest being so outside of what the band were working on. Came in because it was a comfort zone, but I don't think his heart was in it. And I think the overall album suffered because of it. So uh, as much as I love Ozzy's voice, and as much as I love Ozzy's previous contributions to the band, I'm gonna have to say that it was a mistake to, to take him back. <laughs> uh, I, I think he, he hindered the album more than helped it. Maybe, I don't know. I know that, uh, I think I mentioned this on our very first episode, our Ozzy versus Dio episode, uh, where I always say to people, because Ozzy often gets this 
rap that uh, he doesn't contribute anything musically. Uh, Geezer wrote the lyrics, the majority of the lyrics uh, when he was in Black Sabbath. Bob Daisley wrote pretty much all the lyrics for the first four or five of his solo albums. So Ozzy has this reputation that he doesn't really contribute anything musically. And when people say that, I always say, listen to the Dave Walker version of Junior's Eyes, which to me, uh, although it's okay, it becomes a Black Sabbath song with Ozzy's vocals on it. Ozzy's melody line is way more engaging, way more memorable. Ozzy's lyrics, which I believe Ozzy wrote the lyrics for that song, right? I think all the lyrics on the album are credited to to Geezer, but uh, I think that Ozzy wrote those lyrics, didn't he? Or 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 I'm to Geezer wrote those lyrics about Ozzy's father. Yeah, Jack was Jack had died during the recording. Jack Ozzy's father, Jack had died during while they were recording, and the band were were close with Ozzy's father. Ozzy's father was real supportive, and actually he he bought them the the crosses that they all wore. Yeah. So yeah, Geezer wrote the lyrics. Geezer wrote the lyrics to Junior's Eyes on from I guess it was Ozzy's on Ozzy's behalf. And I think and you are right. I, I definitely agree that that Junior's Eyes, Ozzy lights that song up much much better than Dave Walker. Um, and probably the reason is because this is one of the songs that I think that Ozzy could really make an investment in. Yeah, maybe it was the lyrics, the personal lyrics that helped yeah. bring out the yeah. performance of him. Yeah, I think the, the the lyrics probably really resonated with Ozzy, and and it was it was cool of Geezer to 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 do that to put him himself in Ozzy's position and write lyrics like that because it worked so well for that song. But Ozzy was, I, I think they're all kind of getting. I mean, they're all working up to where this album landed. And I think this was the final straw. Ozzy was starting to become critical of some of Geezer's lyrics. And when you look at the album and you like, and you, and you go over songs like A Hard Road, Over to You, maybe Air Dance, they are kind of lackluster in, compared, in comparison to what Geezer's done before. There really wasn't much even in song never say die it's just very pedestrian it's not a lot of nothing's really very thought-provoking it's it's not it doesn't have that i don't want to say the anger of the older lyrics yeah you're right it doesn't you know it's just sort of it, it is a bit pedestrian and, and supposedly ozzy was critical geezer's lyrics and geezer is getting kind of pissed off because he's like you know i mean i and what you had said earlier about how Ozzy doesn't get credit for doing anything musical, I have a theory about that. Um, first of all, let's most of the reports, and, and Don Airy's been pretty forthcoming about Ozzy, and he, he defends Ozzy in, insofar as what his experience has been with Ozzy and what Ozzy contributes. Now, Ozzy does get a bad rap, but Ozzy's. Ozzy's main contribution are his melodies, and a lot of the lyrics are, are they conform to Ozzy's melodies. So even though Bob Daisley writes the lyrics, and you see a lot of people say, well, Bob Daisley wrote all the lyrics. Well, that's great, but who's singing them, and how are they singing them? You know, that matters more 
because at the end of the day, what I remember most isn't necessarily so much the words, it's the way that the words are sung, it's the melodies. And that's been primarily Ozzy's main contribution. And I think that really important, really an important aspect in Black Sabbath's music are those melodies and the way that he sings them. Because when he feels it, when he connects with that song or that music, very effective and it just makes the song really pop. Um, and the other thing is just to get off on a little bit of a tangent with the Bob Daisley thing, it's like, you know, they say, well, Blizzard of Oz wouldn't have wouldn't have been what it was without Bob Daisley and Randy Rhodes and, and there may be some truth to that. And, and yeah, there is some truth to that. But um, what, of course, Randy didn't make it past Diary of a Madman. So, you know, we'll never know what he would have contributed. But we do know what Bob Daisley contributed after. And he stuck with Ozzy for a long time. But what did Bob really do? I mean, for somebody who people are so anxious to give credit for an entire album, or let's say two albums, let's say Blizzard and Diary, oh, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Bob Daisley, Lee Kerslick. Well, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslick, once they got the boot and reformed your eye heap, Abominog, and I like Abominog, it's a cool album, but it's no Blizzard and Diary. So, I mean, if you're going to say that well, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslick were the two people responsible, and also Randy, for, for Blizzard and Diary being the albums that they are, well, okay, but answer me this. What about Abominog and the album after that, Head First by Uriah Heap? <laughs> why weren't those two albums? Because of the same two guys, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslick, why weren't those two albums as good as, Oz, as Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman? I'll tell you, because Ozzy wasn't singing them, <laughs> because it wasn't yeah. Ozzy's contribution. Ozzy didn't contribute. So I will always defend Ozzy, because I think that Ozzy contributes more than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, for some reason, maybe because Ozzy's been so successful and his, his career has been basically a success story, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. I don't know why, but people get resentful of people being successful, and Ozzy's definitely been successful. Under probably uh, impossible odds, <laughs> considering his lifestyle, uh, some of the decisions he's made and his reckless uh, propensity um, in, in some of the things that he's done off stage. But, um, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been successful, probably, you know, I mean, arguably more so than, than Black Sabbath. And, uh, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think I'm always happy for somebody that uh, that can be successful from their talent. And I, and I think Ozzy was successful from his talent, from the way that he sang. And, you know, we can get into the whole thing about that. Ozzy's voice being unpredictable, but it, it is what it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there's we've talked about this in other episodes that there's an undeniable chemistry that exists uh, between these four guys that when these four guys are together in a room, uh, magic can happen. And I think by the time you get to never say die, personal things, the drugs, the all the other stuff going on, sort of that chemistry was affected and it was a more of a struggle for them to get this album out and 
to a certain degree, it, it probably affected some of the, because they operated on such a uh, unspoken sort of uh, synergy within the band that when things weren't going right, <laughs> it was hard for them to fake it, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because it was really just a vibe and something that they feel felt. It really wasn't like there was one guy that wrote all the songs. So if one guy's having personal things going on in his life, well, just as long as the primary songwriter can pull it off, it really wasn't that it was, you know, it really was these guys sort of playing off of each other and feeding off of each other for inspiration and motivation. So, yeah. And you know, what? I, I was thinking, um, uh, if I had a choice between, well, given the choice between, if somebody said you could, you could either have black Sabbath 13 or never say die, I would go with never say die because never say die while it may sound like it's under some, duress it doesn't sound forced and contrived the way that 13 does 13 seems really obvious that somebody said put yourself we're going to remake we're going to combine paranoid and master of reality and write songs like that it sounds very contrived this at least has some creativity even though the things that are going on aren't necessarily germane to the black sabbath uh, formula it's at least ambitious enough where it, it it seemed like it was honest and i'll take that over 13 13 just sounds it dishonest it sounds like yeah we're going to make an album and it's going to sound like black sabbath it's yeah. going to sound like a greatest hits album but with different songs that's uh -huh. always been my issue with with 13 and and I agree with you even though it never say die maybe it doesn't always hit it dead center on the bullseye uh, I, I'm okay with uh, you know them I'd rather have them uh, experimenting yeah. and trying rather than just doing something that was more uh, safe premeditated and contrived in some yeah. ways the way 13 sometimes feels. On a different note, I've always liked the album cover for Never Say Die. <laughs> I always it thought it was cool. cool. It's yeah. another, it's the second hypnosis uh, cover, hypnosis for those who may not know. We're, we're a very famous uh, uh, group of uh, two guys, I believe, that made album covers, most famous for at that time for working with Pink Floyd. Uh, they did the Technical Ecstasy cover. Uh, I always thought the Never Say Die cover was cool. It's it's kind of weird. I mean, they're airplane pilots, but it looks kind of weird and scary. Uh, yeah. I, I like the fact that the uh, the airplane pilot image has made a comeback of mm -hmm. sorts uh, when uh, Tony Stark in the Iron Man movie was wearing you know wearing that on his Sabbath shirt, and it just seems to be something that they started to embrace in the last, I don't know, you know, five yeah. to the last tour and so forth. I always thought that was cool. And for those who don't know the story, uh, the original suggested proposed album cover was, uh, was the one that, there were two album covers given to the band. One was the one that ended up on the cover with the airplane pilots and the other was what would eventually be used by Rainbow for their Difficult to Cure album, which is some um, uh, surgeons with their face masks on, kind of looking over at a, a 
supposedly, you know, made to look like they're looking over an operating table or something. And although I think that that album is, is, is pretty cool, I think that this album, this cover is way better. It has more of a weird sort of uh, strange, creepy vibe. For me personally, when I saw this cover, it was just kind of like, what is this? It just seemed uh, slightly scary. It, it made sense with the title Never Say Die for me because it's airplane pilots flying off to war or something. I don't know, you know, Never Say Die. I don't know. It's just, I think it's pretty cool. And uh, I'm glad that it's uh, made sort of a resurgence and comeback of sorts in the last so many years. Yeah, I love the album cover. It's it's the one thing about the album that I really like. <laughs> and uh, in, and like I started out saying, um, it, it's pretty much the reason I, I decided to buy the album. I thought the, the cover looked cool. It's not, you know, it's just something about it. it it's the way that they, uh, the, the pilots look kind of ominous. These obviously aren't Air Force type of uh, headgear. It's something kind of like, you know, kind of fantasy horror sci-fi kind of a thing going on which is interesting um and yeah i mean the images are are definitely iconic I remember when they came back together sort of um in 96 you know they had mike borden playing drums with them um i bought every t-shirt they had it was the first i think it was the first oz fest and it was the 96 black sabbath is obviously Ozzy, Tony Geezer, and Mike Borden. But anyway, uh, the shirts had, there was one shirt that had the, the pilot's head and I, I bought that and I thought that was really cool. And I have a couple couple shirts that have Never Say Die imagery on it. And, and it really works well for the band. I, I think it's cool. I think it's also cool when you watch and you mentioned the Hammer, Hammersmith Odeon 78 when I think the backdrop comes down and it's the pilot's head <laughs> yeah. real big, man. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah. And you can't see their eyes. They have this, no. this you know, shaded glass, yeah. on, which again gives it sort of this. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But they definitely made the right choice. I mean, I think the, the difficult to cure cover is cool. And the title would have worked with that. Never say die. You got doctors. Um, but I think this is cool. I think this is more suitable to the Black Sabbath vibe because it has a darker, darker aspect to it. The difficult to cure isn't very dark. You see the doctor's eyes. And, I mean, you can kind of follow the concept and never say die. You know, don't want to die on the operating table or whatever. But it worked better for Rainbow. This is okay. definitely a better choice for uh, for Black Sabbath. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's move into the songs on the album. So the album starts with Never Say Die, like you mentioned, probably one of the most upbeat Sabbath songs Yeah. Uh, to this point. Uh, I, I've always personally loved the song. I, I think that the, the, the song has, uh, 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 some people have covered this song. You know, I think Megadeth did a cover of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Ozzy did it on his Speak of the Devil album. Yeah. So I, I think that the album has, uh, this song, has has gained some some fans when people think of, of this album uh if there was a song i mean this was the only song from this album played regularly on this tour but if if there was a song from this album that they could have done during the reunion years they they probably could have done they could have done this and it would have been a lot of fun i think it really works when yeah. ozzy does it on speak of the devil and uh, mm -hmm. 
even when they performed it live, like on the Hammersmith Odeon video that, that you were mentioning, I think it's uh, I think it's a fun song. I just love the sort of upbeat. Iomi's got a pretty ripping guitar solo in it. I love the end of the song when there's that low voice. I'm assuming it's Ozzy doing the never say die. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it is that is cool um my impression i i like the song too i i really do i i think it's a good song and and i like it but when i get into you know as basically to start the album it's a little weak um you know when we're talking about even with with technical ecstasy you have something like backstreet kids and that riff is driving and it's heavy and i think just about every black sabbath album has a better opening song as a call to arms uh never say die kind of starts things off pretty politely and uh sets the sets the pace it's a good song but uh and there were, I really can't think of any other song on the album that you could start with. Of course, it's called, it's the title track. But um, aside from that, there really isn't any other song that I could see starting the album out with. So it's kind of doomed from the beginning. You know, I mean, you're, you're limited as to what you could start the album out with. I mean, certainly you couldn't start out with something like Air Dance. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's a little bit, um, it's just a little lighter. And, and it seems a little tentative, <laughs> especially given the circumstances um, that we're, you know, we're, we're going to keep on keeping on. No, you're not. <laughs> and we can tell it, it's falling apart, you know, so that's my takeaway from it. But you're, you're right, though. I mean, Ozzy did a good job on Speak of the Devil. It was cool that he dusted that off and, and did it. And, it. and it sounds it sounds good with those musicians playing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not a bad song, but it's, you know, I mean, just okay. All right, then it moves into Johnny Blade. I know you you mentioned that, uh, I mentioned that uh, the keyboard intro to this really reminded me of uh, like Mr. Crowley and, you know, Don Airy was also involved in Ozzy's solo career and these sort of keyboard sounds. Uh, I love the different changes in this song. I, I especially love the part that he's the one who should be afraid. I think that's an awesome Ozzy melody there. I love when Ozzy sort of does that really soaring up high uh, type of vocal thing. Uh, it's got a great, I love the Iomi lead on the outro of this song. It, it might be if I was making a top 10 Iomi solos, I think that this this would be one of them. I love the outro solo on this. He he sort of builds it up really nicely. And there's a spot where he starts playing like really sort of fast. And it's he's just sort of really melodic and moving all over the neck. And it's pretty technical. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh yeah, this is this is one of my favorites on this on this album, Johnny Blade. Uh definitely the keyboard is reminiscent or it will be foreshadowing maybe of what would be Mr. Crowley a few years later. The thing that's different about it and why it doesn't hit me in the same place that Mr. Crowley does is because Mr. Crowley 
sounds more like a pipe organ. And for all I know, it could be the very same keyboard, could be the same rig. But the difference between the two songs is that Mr. Crowley sounds creepier. It has like a pipe organ sound. This sounds yeah. synthy. It sounds synthy yeah. to me. And and right off the bat, because there's like this extended keyboard intro, like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too long, man. It, it it needs to get the ball rolling a little bit sooner and get into that guitar riff, um, which it doesn't. Not, not not for a little while. So that take I'll, I'll take points off for that. Um, otherwise, once it starts moving along, it's a cool tune. I mean, I like the I like the lyrics. Um, it's a little odd, again, for Black Sabbath to, to sing about something like this, like this you know, fictitious character, this Johnny Blade. And they're a little cheesy at times. You don't do that to Johnny Blade. He's the meanest guy around <laughs> town. One look know. and he will cut you down, yeah. Blade. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit hard to, to grasp. But it, it's there. And, and you know, it's okay. Um, but I, I, overall, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's not a bad song. It's pretty cool. I mean, I liked it when I heard it. I thought it was cool because it, the age I was, I could, I could wrap my head around this guy, Johnny Blade. Yeah. You know, um, probably a little bit older. And, and if I had some uh, experience with some of the other lyrical concepts and themes of some of the previous albums, I, I probably would have taken issue with it. But because it was, my age and my first exposure to Black Sabbath, I, I was cool with it. Um, as the years haven't really been kind to it, as far as I'm concerned. But um, and and so you that, know that uh, Johnny's a spider, and his yeah. web is the city at night. That doesn't bother me that much. That, <laughs> I mean, once you once you get past the, uh, you don't do that to Johnny Blade. <laughs> like He's the awesome. meanest guy around this yeah, town. Like, it sounds like it kind of reminds me of uh, West Side Story or something. <laughs> Black yeah. Sabbath does West Side Story. <laughs> uh, and, and it's the second song. So, I mean, we get right. Never say that. die the musical. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I mean, you, you have all the ingredients here. You, you could probably do it. All right. Next is Junior's Eyes. And we talked we talked a little bit about this one. I think this is a great lyric. We talked about the lyrics in this for Ozzy's recently passed away father, Jack. Mm -hmm. Ozzy has a great uh, vocal delivery on this one. Uh, I will say there's something very strange about this song. When it first starts, it's, I don't know if the album just wasn't mastered properly. It always sounds so quiet to yeah. me. This song sounds quieter in volume than the other yeah. songs. And I always feel like I need to turn. It's like I'm waiting for that bass to fade in more and it never really does. And there's only like kind of one guitar in the beginning and he's just playing like those little stabs with the wah-wah pedal thing. And he's sort of a little jazzy like guitar stabs and uh it you know it, it gets a little bit um more to the sound when they go into the chorus of it uh he's coming home again tomorrow and i will say that bill ward has a lot of great drum fills on this record and this oh, yeah. song especially makes me think yeah. that i'm home again tomorrow you know he's playing all these like sort of fast 
yeah. really cool uh, drum fills. It's drums sound pretty, uh, uh, it sounds to me like they just put like an overhead mic on his drum set or something. It doesn't sound like it's a really slick or no, uh, produced sound. drum sound or anything. It's a pretty like simple uh, room. Uh, like they just put a microphone in a room or something for his drum sound, but he's got a lot of like kind of busy, fast fills. And this particular song is, is one that jumps out at me. Yeah. Johnny Blade is another one that he, that he has a bunch of like fast, yeah. uh, fast drum fills in it. But here in Junior's eyes, he's got some really cool fills in the chorus. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say to, to Bill's credit, I mean, he, he pretty much is like the star of the show on this album. His drums sound huge, especially on, uh, junior's eyes so those fills you're right i mean they they sound like cannons i mean and, and they're cool cool fills um but yeah i mean every song i, I think bill ward turns in a, a great in what seems to be an inspired performance I, I can't give him enough credit on this album i think bill feels like when when you listen to bill talk about this era Bill's the one guy that's that's not afraid to kind of open up and, and really sort of dig deep into his feelings, whereas Geezer and Tony seem to be pretty guarded about, you know, really uh, opening up about this type of stuff. But Bill's, he's never afraid to just to sort of uh, get introspective. And it, you really get the feeling that he was the guy that that didn't want the band to end, that was like, come on, guys, let's try, let's let's make this work. Let's somehow make this work. And, uh, you know, he, he always talks about the connection that he had with Ozzy, how it was never really the same after Ozzy left. And I think the other guys were all tired and burnt out. And I mean, Bill was certainly dealing with his uh, substance abuse issues, but I think the other guys had one foot out the door and are ready to throw in the towel. And uh, Bill sort of struck, strikes me as the guy that was just kind of like, trying to trying to keep it moving trying to be the, the the peacemaker trying to be the guy and and it i never really thought of this till you mentioned it but I, I think it even comes through in his drumming here i think he really tries to to interject some energy and, yeah. and enthusiasm into his uh drum parts yeah on this record even though everybody else may have been feeling with a lot of these songs like it was kind of forced and not really happening i think bill tried to make up for that by really putting in a great drum performance on this whole album i agree i i think that um he's he's the one thing that gives the album a sense of urgency and uh and, and gives it some 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 intensity puts a little fire into it otherwise i mean you know geezer's bass is pretty polite tony like you said the guitar is a little bit in, more in the background on this album but bill's drums are right up front um his his performance is pretty spirited you know he, he's really and, and you're, you're probably right i mean of course we don't know i don't know if bill's ever said what his feelings were you know specifically about being in this situation but i can get the feeling from his performance that he was trying to compensate for some of the shortcomings in other areas and uh and that comes across um but to to continue with uh with junior's eyes this is the this is the the song that i think makes the album worth owning and uh 
Ozzy sounds sounds great on it, and I think it's probably because he does connect with the lyrics. Um, similar to She's Gone, where you can really hear the emotion in Ozzy's voice on She's Gone. I can hear that here on Junior's eyes, too, and it's probably because the lyrics are, are something that he obviously can connect with. Um, so, so there's that, you know, the great vocal performance, probably the best of the album. Um, I, I agree with you when you say that it, it's kind of an awkward thing how the, how the song starts out where the, the bass is kind of fading in and the drums are kind of like, the, you know, with the snare, the snare fill. Um, it would be better if it came on, it started off a little stronger, but I'm so used to hearing it, you know, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is at this point, but to examine it and, and, and analyze it. Yeah, that, that is kind of a strange thing. And it does, it does build momentum as it moves along. Um, it's a sad song. And I think the lyrics without even reading any, I don't think the lyrics are included in, in this album, but without even reading the lyrics, you can, you can make out what they are and they're sad and they're, and they're really good. And it does kind of evoke, um, an emotional reaction um, on this song and only this song for me I don't have any emotional reaction to any other song really um, it all seems pretty pedestrian and by the numbers but this song lights up the album for me yeah I could agree with that if I if somebody if a Black Sabbath fan never heard this album that might be the song that I would tell them to listen to uh, first. All right, then it moves into hard, a hard road or some versions of the record, it just says hard road. Other, other copies uh, say a hard road. Uh, this is one that, that, that I never really cared for. It sounds real like sing-songy at times. And uh, I don't know, it just doesn't lift off off the ground really for me. I, I mean, the end of the song is kind of fun when Ozzy's doing the, forget all your sorrows don't it that's a catchy little melody line but it's mm -hmm. so like you know we were talking earlier about this album having sort of a ironically happy vibe to it this one is is really especially the end where you know and a little bit of trivia for everyone out there uh on the background vocals as, as a song fades out this is the only uh vocal appearance from tony iomi and geezer butler on any black sabbath album they sang the background vocals on that but uh, I don't know, it just doesn't really lift off for me. It just kind of sits there and uh, it's just a little too, uh, it just doesn't have enough to it for me. It just kind of comes across as okay. It's probably my, it's, it's, it's probably my least favorite song on the album. Um, it, it, I agree, it, it's okay. It's not my least favorite song on the album, but it, <laughs> uh, it's one of them uh and there's nothing wrong with it it's it's just okay it, it doesn't it it kind of like it questions why it's even a song because it's so and again i have to use the word pedestrian it, it's just so pedestrian it doesn't really seem to have any purpose and i guess the lyrics not really that obvious but you know um i i i kind of concluded that it's basically sort of a uh, retrospect on their career up to this point. It's a hard road. 
you know, been through a lot, ups and downs. It's a hard road. And, it, and it's one of those things that kind of puts the nail on the coffin for me. It, it sounds like there's a lot of things going on in this album. And maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it was just sort of subliminal. But there's so many things about this album that sound final. And it is. It's the final album of this era. And I think subconsciously it was it was kind of put put forth into this album this is one of those songs it's kind of like a retrospect yeah you know we've here we are at the end of the line and wow we've had a lot of good times and we've had some bad times too and and here we are and that takes outside one you know and then it's like (laughs) well ending on that note do i even want to turn the record over (laughs) maybe i just better put this one back you know, on a stronger album, it, 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 it wouldn't have made the cut or it would have been like a B oh. an unreleased B side or something. No, but uh, so. all right, well, side two, in my opinion, does open up with uh, one of the other strongest songs on the album and one of the heavier, maybe the heaviest song on the album, uh, and one of the longer, so well, no, not really, but uh. It's got a lot going on in it, let's say that. So Shockwave opens up side two. Uh, this is, if, if you were making a deep cuts uh, selections, this might be a good deep cut from this album. It's It's got some pretty cool riffing in it. Uh, it's got a bunch of different sort of uh, changes in it. Uh, I like the guitar solo in this, the way it's sort of like this heavy wah-wah thing. And always reminded me of, uh, the guitar solo in You Can't Kill Rock and Roll uh, off a Diary of a Madman. Uh, so I don't know, it's a cool song for me. I love the main riff. Uh, they did do this song. I think I've heard live versions of this. I think there's some bootlegs of them uh, doing this, but uh, probably my second favorite song on the album. Yeah, I, I'd go along with that. I think this is probably my second favorite song on the album too. And, and this is one of the first songs other than Junior's Eyes. And actually Junior's Eyes, I've always liked, but I think it, it's had more significance to me later on. Uh, Shockwave was was kind of an immediate hit for me. I, I liked it. I liked the riff. Um, and there's some quirky things about it. Like there's like a three-part harmony and in the, the end of the chorus. There's just some wacky, wacky things going on, but I, I think it's, there's something about it that, that sounds like, you know, it, it's authentic. It, 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 it could be something, it could be something that I, you, you might find on technical ecstasy. I was just going to say that, that this is the only song on this album that I could picture on one of the previous albums. See, yeah. I could have heard this song. I could picture this song on Technical Ecstasy and maybe even a little bit of a stretch, but maybe even on uh, Sabotage. Uh, but this is really the only song on this album that, that like you just said, I could picture yeah. on one of the other Sabbath albums. Yeah, so it, it kind of stands out, especially on side two. So when you flip the album over and then you start off with, with Shockwave, I remember thinking, okay, now now things are going to start to get good. It it's gonna it's gonna heat up here real soon. But you know what? <laughs> the irony is, it just it doesn't. <laughs> it gets worse. 
Um, All right, well then, right, it follows it with Air Dance. <laughs> and I, I, I'm okay with this song. It's got sort of a light jazzy vibe to it. The Don Airy doing sort of these like classical style piano runs up and down the keyboard going up and down. And I think the lyric matter is kind of fun. It's got a cool little shift where they sort of go into double time and it's almost like a little bit of a fusion jazz fusion -y vibe and there's like I'm assuming that's Iomi's guitar maybe it's a keyboard like an, either an effect on his guitar but there's like a really weird sounding kind of a kind of solo in it uh, I'm not sure what that is and um, or am I thinking of over to you or is that an over to you where it goes into that sort of fast double time thing I don't know air dance is it's a I think that is over bum, to you. Bum, yeah. bum, bum, that bum, like, bum, yeah. Bum. Yeah, I think that that's over. No, no, that is air dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just a strange song. It's not a bad song for anyone else. I mean, I could hear maybe, this would be a good song to give to Jethro Tull so they could have put it on the heavy horses or something. <laughs> um, but as a Black Sabbath song, it's it's definitely a a head scratcher. The lyrics aren't bad, but for what Geezer had come up with prior to this, something where you could tell there was some sort of personal investment, um, either an observation or a feeling in most of the lyrics that he's that he scribed prior to this. This one is almost like a story. And uh, reading Martin Popov's book which I forget what the name of it is, Doom something. Doom Let Loose. Doom Let Loose. Uh, Martin Popoff compares <clears throat> Air Dance to Rush's Losing It in some aspects. And uh, the concept is sort of the same. It's a, an older woman reflecting on her life when she was younger as a, as a dancer, ballet dancer or something like that. And, and that's pretty much the same concept as Losing It, although Losing It has little vignettes of of characters that the main theme of that is you know what you were and where where that went and reflecting on that part of your life that was that was active this centers around just that one situation and while it's an interesting situation to some degree and something that people can probably connect with it's a little bit foreign for a black sabbath lyrical topic it's it seems something seems like something that a little bit devoid of uh, any kind of emotional attachment but i don't know maybe maybe it has it but it it's it's definitely unusual so there's the lyrical aspect the the musical aspect is so odd strange for black sabbath it i think it's well performed but it it's it's just something that is so unusual and it's not what I want to hear when I put a Black Sabbath album on, I'm not an entry. There's very little guitar on this song. There's there's really no like in the verses. It's really the piano that sort of carries it in the verses. There's just not a lot of. Yeah, I mean, there's some guitar in the intro of the song and everything, but it. Uh, it yeah, it's a song that's carried a lot by the by the piano and and that sort of lighter 
Uh, in the opening. Maybe that was the point of it. It has this sort of like dancing, you know, a picture. If they yeah. made a video for it, you'd have ballerinas dancing around or something, you know, that sort of imagery, that sort of. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, sure. It, it probably 78. Uh, why not introduce ballerinas into Black Sabbath? <laughs> Everything else is going to hell anyway. Everything's all going to hell in a handbasket. Bring in the ballerinas. Um, we already have Never Say Die the musical. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> now we have Never Never Say Die the uh, ballet. Yeah. Um, but the guitar the guitar riff in the beginning is so weak. It's 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 not. The tone is off. It just sounds. It's just it's weak. It's just weak. Um, for anybody, I think it would just be a filler song. But you're right, it does get interesting. There's some inspiration, I'm not sure whose it was, but there's obviously some inspiration from about the middle to the end, some different movements that are interesting. But again, it, it's it's very foreign for a Black Sabbath album. And I don't care, I mean, it, about that necessarily, but it stands out. I mean, you could you could argue that there's something on every album that is kind of foreign to a Black Sabbath album, but there's a certain comfort that goes into it and a certain inspiration that you can kind of feel is conveyed in the performance. With with this, I, I just get a feeling I, I can't connect to it. It's not, it doesn't sound like it was really sincere. It sounds a little forced. And that's my problem. With that. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I think I like the song a bit better than you, and uh, but I can certainly understand where you're coming from. I mean, the lyrics for me, I kind of like the reflective lyrics on it, but I, I totally get it. How it just does not feel like a you know a, a Black Sabbath song, and it's it's lacking any kind of you know riffage or anything in it. So it's just a really bizarre bizarre song and there's already been a couple a couple strange songs up to this point on this record so this is the strangest one so far but the strangest is yet to come right so next so into over to you and uh, you know this is this is an okay one maybe maybe my uh, this is a little plotting mm -hmm. this is another one that doesn't quite take off maybe the way you would you would hope you're kind of waiting for something to happen and it never never quite happens. I always felt like Ozzy's vocal delivery in this one is a little bit flat. Uh, maybe he just wasn't feeling it or something. I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't come across uh, super well. It's okay, but again, it just, it's just sort of sits there and never really, never really gets moving. It's kind of similar to Hard Road or A Hard Road, but I like Over to You. Um, I, I think it's pretty cool. It, it is plotting, like you said, but it plods in a way that I think has a little bit more spirit to it. Then um, there's things that I, I think it kind of takes some weird turns. Um, whatever that chorus is, Over to You. Yeah. Sounds I always thought the verse in this song was really good, you know, born yeah. in the gutter. That's probably my favorite part of, part of the song. Yeah, I like the It just could have maybe stood for maybe like one other different section, even if it was like an instrumental thing to add to it for me. But 
it, 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 it's still pretty cool. The main riff in it is 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 kind of kind of neat. It's got a pretty yeah neat guitar riff there to it. So yeah, I'll give it some love. Uh, I like it. What, what, you know, I, I, I get the urge to listen to Never Say Die occasionally. You know, a few times a year, probably. I guess. And when I do, uh, and that song comes on, I like it. Um, you know, it's cool. As far as is is within context, I, I'd say it's probably one of the uh, one of the stronger songs for me, and I and I, I mean strong. I, I'm using that term loosely, but um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I don't always listen to Never Say Die, but when I do, I listen to Over to You. Or Shockwave. Or Three of them. All right, and then the moment we've been waiting for on this podcast, Darren's favorite Black Sabbath song of all time. What? <laughs> the instrumental <Yeah>. Breakout. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a weird, what a weird thing to do. And you know, I've always kind of like uh, the 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 breakout breakout going into swinging the chain, swinging the chain, are kind of like they just go into one another. So it's yeah. actually swinging the chain because swinging the chain is really cool. That riff, probably the only time that there's actually some some venom. There's a little bit of that fire in that riff on breaking swinging the chain um, with breakout you got to endure breakout before you get to swinging the chain. So it's almost kind of like an intro, but, uh, and, and, and thankfully it, it's an instrumental, so we don't have to tolerate any kind of vocal melody that you would put on, on that song, which would probably be just as bad as everything else that's going on in it. Saxophones, um, notwithstanding. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, I do, in a way, if it were in another context, on another band's album. I don't understand it on a Black Sabbath album. I don't know why they would arrive at this conclusion that it was okay to, to do this. Saxophones kill it for me. I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can do and still stay within the framework by um, using orchestras and keyboards and maybe you know obviously some synthesizers and and and, and percussion and, and lots of things i think you can you can employ those those tools and still do something that um is well is well within the framework saxophones i don't think i mean you could you, you could look at it as a, as a challenge you could say well you know I, we could put saxophones in there and, and we could we could make it dark okay let's see you do that <laughs> uh this doesn't um i think black widow had a saxophone the, the band black widow had a saxophone player and they didn't do it right either i don't think there's anything you can do with the saxophone other than play like jazz and that there's i mean legitimately this is kind of a jazzy song i mean there's a little bit of jazz going on in air dance in that middle part uh, breakout definitely is a is a is a is a rock jazz maybe you could call it fusion um, without the technical aspect um, but yeah man I no no <laughs> hard pass for you <laughs> hard pass on breakout for me <laughs> uh, I'm okay with it for what it is it's just a short little 
thing. Like you said, it feels like an introduction to swinging the chain. It sort of, for me, works to set up swinging the chain, especially because swinging the chain has a little bit of a uh, swingy feel to it at mm -hmm. times. So it's sort of this, uh, uh, maybe there's a connection there. I like the part where it goes, does the like, ba da 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 ba da da ba da da ba ba da 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 ba Darren's just shaking his head in the video here. No, you yeah. out there in podcast land. He's, <laughs> I, I'm okay with it. I mean, again, I, I said this earlier, is it something that I would want on all my Black Sabbath albums? No, but as a two minute and 35 second instrumental, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to take it for what it is. And again, it sets up, it sets up swinging the chain, which we can move it's into not. swinging the chain, Yeah, you know, is, is an awesome, you know, when that riff kicks in there, it's, it's that, that main riff to this song is uh, super cool. And we talked about Bill Ward singing on this. Bill Ward yeah. had some like venom, I think is a good word, you know, to it. He has some intensity and venom to it. The main mm -hmm. riff has kind of has yeah. some of that i love the but why'd you have to treat us that way yeah bah, 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 bah. you know it's got kind of a cool feel to it it's got a uh uh harmonica through it played by john Elstar, who sings harmonica on this particular particular song so okay. it, that's kind of cool the the harmonica on it and uh I like the end of the song when it goes where it sort of suddenly shifts gears and it goes, yeah. you gotta believe it. Mm -hmm. You gotta believe that whole like sort of thing as it yeah. uh, takes it out and Bill's doing those like sort of high whales yeah. sort of things <clears throat> yeah. in the background. Very impressive. Um, I, I think it's a great song. Um, it's a little strange. And I, and I guess it's because it, it sort of comes in, it comes in the way that it does as part of breakout and I, and I think if it would had if, if it had a different structure in the beginning and it was a standalone song more so than um the second part of of the coupling of breakout and swing the chain I, I think that uh it would probably be a little bit more effective but be that as it may Bill Ward sounds really really good impressive vocals on that I love his lyrics too uh i especially like that line and, and it goes through my head probably more often than i than i realize but it's against my uniform to be a civil judge yeah that's it's a so great cool. line yeah it's so cool <laughs> and there's a lot of little little snippets uh uh something about vandals and and it gets into a hitler reference which is you know kind of taboo but and probably even in so much for that time as well um, so those, those things, I think, um, give the song some authenticity. There's obviously some, some thought and a little bit of passion, definitely passion in the, in the vocal performance of Bill's. I mean, he says high notes, you could tell he was really, really belting it out. And then, I mean, this could be his reaction to the situation. Like, I want this to work. I want this to come together so badly. And this is how he how he contributes to, to trying to fix the situation, to try to put yeah. some glue on this is by just throwing himself into it. And, and, and he does it on this song. And, and also his drumming as we, as we talked about earlier, but with the vocals, 
uh, I think he sounds great on Technical Ecstasy on, on It's All Right, but this one, he sounds great. And you could tell that, that he's really into it. There's some passion. Probably the only, only passion really that, that exists on this album is Bill Ward's vocal performance on this very last song. And they go out. So in context and sequence, at least I can say that they go out on a, on a high note. Um, it's a shame that they don't have their singer taking them out. They have the drummer singing, but he does such a good job. Who's complaining? Yeah, it is kind of strange that the last two Ozzy era songs with the original, the, the last two songs with the original lineup wouldn't even feature Ozzy on vocals. Yeah, it's almost like Ozzy's Ozzy left the building. Yeah, exactly. We're, right. we're picking up, and he's he's already gone. Yeah, we're just down to three guys, and, and Geezer's got one foot out the door too. But uh, yeah, okay. See you later. It's been fun. Thanks a lot. Good night. We're gonna go on tour van. Hey, where's where's Ozzy? Where's it? He's, he's he gone. left an hour ago. You know, <laughs> and then he's not answering his phone from that point on. Yeah. All right. Well, this certainly uh, you know closes a chapter in the in the history of Black Sabbath. And uh, got any final thoughts here on uh, on this just this final chapter here? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think one of the things that, that is often brought up in relevance to this album is the tour, that, that famous tour that Black Sabbath embarked on for eight months with Van Halen. Eight months. Can you imagine that being on the road with another, just being on the road in general, but being on the road and how well you would, you would know that, that other band? Eight months. A long time. Yeah. I mean, I can't even handle two weeks. <laughs> I can't even handle a week, <laughs> eight months. But that tour has become legendary. And, and one of the, the things that people often talk about is how Van Halen was, was blowing Black Sabbath off the stage. And I, I've heard, I actually have the Black uh, Van Halen, I have a bootleg of the Hammersmith Van Halen show, and they do sound good but I think Black Sabbath sounds better. And I have some several boots from, from the 78 tour and some are eh, okay, but some are really, really good. And I don't get the impression at all that it was a consistent thing. I, I think Black Sabbath probably had some, some bad nights or some not so great nights. Um, and I think Van Halen was probably consistently on. But one of the things that, that I read while preparing for this was that when they started out the tour, Van Halen was still kind of in that bar band mindset. And their set was kind of in that, in that mode where they just went from song to song. They had little, you know, things that they would do. But as the tour went on and they'd watch Black Sabbath night after night, they started taking on some of the things that Black Sabbath was doing. They, you know, they reported that David Lee Ross started flashing the peace sign. He started interacting with the crowd in the way that Ozzy did. That Eddie Van Halen lengthened his guitar solo because Tony Iommi was doing it. It got to the point where they were ripping off or biting off so many things that Sabbath was doing. And, and this was bad because they were going on before Sabbath. So when Sabbath, it was Sabbath's shtick. So that when Sabbath went on after Van Halen, the audience was like, yeah, the other band already did that. <laughs> so it was unfortunate that they were taking Sabbath's thing and doing it before Sabbath was doing it. But it got to the point where it was so obvious that there was actually some words between Tony Iommi 
and Eddie Van Halen. And he basically said, look, knock it off. Stop doing that. <laughs> and he did. Well, so it was reported, but. Um, yeah, I think that is one of those stories that's just sort of folklore, yeah, if you will. And, and maybe part of it too, just might've been sort of the contrast between, you sort of have Black Sabbath, which is a band and a 70s band mm. and you have van halen which granted this is 1978 but van halen was was more of a band that was moving towards the 80s you know they were a new sound if you will and yeah, i think that it's just sort of that contrast between uh, a band rooted in the early 70s and a band sort of forward thinking Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing is futuristic at that point. So it's probably just that contrast because I agree with you. I mean, we talked about in the, or I mentioned in the introduction to the show that one of these, uh, one night of the tour was professionally filmed and later released as a video, a full length concert video titled Never Say Die. And, uh, you know, the band seems to have plenty of energy. I mean, Ozzy is, is into it as he's ever been into it. Uh, I would say his voice is maybe starting to show some, some damage to it. Uh, some of the songs, the upper range type stuff, he sort of sounds a little croaky. <laughs> <laughs> on some of it, but he gives it the old college try and he certainly has the, the energy. He's, he's all over. I think he looks cool. He's got the white sequence thing with the fringe uh, tassels hanging from his sleeves, which would sort of be an iconic Aussie look that he would carry for the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the band sounds like they, they, they have a lot of energy. So sur certainly this idea that, uh, you know, Sabbath was this, flat every night or blowing it on so i'm sure they had some nights that were better yeah. than others as i'm sure van halen did also but uh i think that's just one of these stories that's just taken on that's grown over over time and not really uh, rooted in a whole lot of uh reality yeah i i think there i mean i most of the the live recordings bootlegs and this hammersmith video shows um this, the band as a, as a counterpoint to what I guess you could say is, is the weaker side of things from the album live, they, they seem like they're firing on all cylinders. In fact, that version of Snowblind at, from the Hammersmith show is my favorite live version of Snowblind. I, I love the way that Ozzy sings it. I love the inflections between the verse, the line, the last line of the verse, and uh, you know, and he just kind of carries over. Uh, that's my favorite version of Snowblind. And um, but otherwise, I mean, they do Electric Funeral, sounds pretty killer. Um, you know, good. I mean, and, and what makes it good is at this point they have a lot of material to draw from, and they put it together in a set that I think, you know, gives. It starts off with Symptom of the Universe with the great opening um, live, yeah. I think, in spite of the fact that the album isn't that great. I think it, I think it was a great uh, live representation of the band and everything that they had from, from the beginning until that point, I, I think. It, and maybe that's one of the reasons why they, they didn't do uh, much material from, from Never Say Die was because, you know, 
the older material. Yeah, they're just getting to the point where they had so many other songs to, to pick from. I mean, uh, they do, you do get Dirty Women yeah. on, on that set list, for instance. That's pretty cool. You get the song Never Say Die. You get Rock and Roll Doctor, Electric Funeral, uh, Symptom of the Universe, like you mentioned. And yeah. yeah, and you know, part of it too might have been Van Halen. They released their first record. It's sort of, they were probably appealing to a pretty young uh, demographic at that point. They're, they're a young, hot new California band. And so maybe there was a little bit of a clash between some some of the crowd that was showing up for Van Halen and and uh, and Black Sabbath in the sense that you know Van Halen again is sort of this new young band. I'm sure their their fan base was was probably reflected that also. But but like you said, one only has to check out that Never Say Die video to see that uh, they certainly don't seem like a band that was ready to break up at the end of the tour. They seem like they're pretty into it and they're yeah. pretty energetic and pretty excited. I always love the, the, the cost, the, the outfits they were wearing during that era. Like you, you said earlier that they Never Say Die, um, you know, album not not necessarily it was it the album cover just one of the guys from the album cover that they used for the backdrop there when it lowers mm. down and everything i think is pretty cool bill ward's got like about a million drums oh i know on stage <laughs> his white no. drum set and those monitors they got these big white monitors on the yeah. stage and everything and bill these close-ups of bill like a symptom of the universe just like playing like across all those like, yeah, yeah he's an old, 30 yeah. toms that he has so the thing i love about bill ward's drum set is there's no rhyme or reason nothing is set up according to sizes there i mean i, I maybe there's like his own formula but i mean there's like a 15 inch tom and then there's a 10 inch tom right next to it and then there, there, there's an 18 inch floor tom it's just the drums are all over the place and some are concert toms and some are power toms and some are regular you know uh 10 inch like 14 inch toms they're just like random i mean i i, I think they all kind of match color wise but i mean it's just like this random set and he's just moving around on him man he's he's going to town and that solo that he does is, is really good um and uh and symptom of the universe, those fills. I mean, he's 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 going to town on those fills. It's it's a Bill Ward thing. A little overweight, you could see, you know. Um, but that, you know, he pulls it off. Uh, gotta love Bill Ward. I always thought it was a little strange that, and I think this started on the technical ecstasy tour where Ozzy moved over to stage left and Iomi was in this on the center of the stage. I always just thought that was sort of a strange thing, and I always wondered if that was sort of, uh, you know, uh, affected uh, Ozzy's, uh, you know, thinking like he's sort of getting pushed to the side here and Iomi's taking more, more control and more of the, more of the spotlight. And I wonder if that sort of, you know, maybe had a subliminal subconscious effect on on Ozzy and his thinking of where his status was in the band could have been I, I know that it was brought up in in a few different articles and things that I've read um that it was sort of a point of contention that I only kind of put himself in the middle he, he felt that he he valued himself and I think a lot of it well, it started around 75 it started on the sabotage tour I think that's when you'll first find that Iomi was 
taking center stage. I think it, a lot of it had to do with what he felt that because he was doing so much work in the studio, he was producing the albums. And uh, I think he kind of attributed that to a, a greater value of himself in the band. Um, Ozzy, you know, I, I think that their, their roles off stage sort of determined their roles on stage. Um, Ozzy was sort of the person who was maybe the least involved to a degree. Like I said, though, melodies were, you know, really, really important. But as far as being involved in the, in the process of like recording and, and maybe even in the writing aspect, um, arrangement, probably not much going on with Ozzy. Um, yeah, he kind of got pushed off to the side. Iomi was was doing more. He was principal songwriter. He was also handling things in the studio. He's behind the console. Um, yeah, I, I think that that that's where he wanted to be. I think that he felt that it was his band, and and you know he wanted to represent it. He put a lot of work into it. And, you know, I think that that you know their their roles off stage determine what their roles were on stage. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Ozzy was particularly thrilled about it, but I think Ozzy was kind of submissive to Tony. I think their dynamic was something that was established when they were living in the neighborhood as children. You know, supposedly Tony would kind of bully Ozzy and Tony was a little older than Ozzy. So I think, you know, Ozzy's always kind of been submissive to Tony. And I think he's, he said in a couple of interviews that Tony Iommi genuinely intimidates him. And, uh, Tony Iommi would have that effect on people that he was kind of a had a foreboding presence that he was he was larger than life when you when you saw him he could he could be intimidating and he certainly intimidated Ozzy and I think Ozzy you know was submissive to that. So. All right, well, like we said, the end of a the end of an era for Black Sabbath here, Ozzy would come back and they would release one more album with Ozzy on vocals unfortunately not with the original lineup Bill Ward wouldn't be there but we were a little ways off from that point uh, but we are moving here into a new uh, new phase with the band so on our next podcast we will be now moving into the Ronnie James Dio era of Black Sabbath so that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to look forward to that. And uh, got any last things you want to add before we wrap it up here, Darren? Ah, it's kind of bittersweet in a way that we've 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 made it through the uh, the entire Aussie era. I, I I want to thank everybody who's who's followed the podcast, who's listened to the podcast, and has given us some positive comments. It's really appreciated. You know, obviously John and I put. You know, we're huge fans and we're very passionate about that. And you can you can hear it in the way that we, we talk about it. So it means a lot that people are tuning in and listening to us. Um, otherwise, we could just be doing this on the phone for two and a half hours. <laughs> Which we wouldn't have a problem doing. This no. is pretty much a typical conversation yeah. <laughs> between me and Darren. You know, yeah. that's all we're doing. We're just recording it. <laughs> but, but yeah, but if I have to, you know, say, okay, well, this is this is the end of this first first chapter of our of our uh, Into the Void podcast. And just to, to thank everybody for tuning in and listening, it really means a lot. And we're gonna get into the Dio stuff. And and as much as I love the first era, the Aussie era of Sabbath, I, I'm like really excited to start getting into to these next two albums. So uh, yeah, ne next show is gonna be good too. It's gonna be a good one. 
Yeah, I like Darren. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the show. It <clears throat> just does feel like, you know, we're sort of closing a chapter here. It's been a lot of fun sort of taking it album by album and, and you know, really going into deep dives on these records. So we're uh, both looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, to moving on into the Dio era because as much as I love the Aussie era, I think uh, the Dio era is awesome also. So... All right. We'd like to thank everybody again for listening to the podcast. Make sure you stop by our Facebook page and uh, leave some comments over there on Facebook. And uh, we will see you next time. We'll see you in 1980 for the Heaven and Hell album.